Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris. Today we speak with James, who did a legendary thing, and he emailed in saying, like the show, which is, thank you very much for saying that, and that he's got a couple of places that he'd like to talk about that he finds, finds interesting. This first one is India, as you can probably tell by the title. Quite a whopper of an episode, but James just kept delivering the detail, the locations, the descriptions, he's very visual. I loved the episode. If you have any interest or any intentions on visiting India, please do listen on. And if you'd like to come on the show while you're listening to it, feel free to email btmtravelpod at gmail.com. With no further ado, let's get into it. So hello, James. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Great. You know, lovely weather down in, down in the south of Australia, so I can't complain. Absolutely. Yeah, we were just talking the UK's oddly enough. Um, it's good at the moment, which is which is nice. But today we're talking about neither location and we're going to be talking about India. How was that for you? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've fallen in love with this country. I, um, I've been nine times now and uh, every time I go there, I think I'm going to know more and the more I go there, the less I know about the country. It's one of those countries that you just never stop learning about. Um, the people are amazing, um, absolutely amazing people. It's chaotic, it's calm, you know, it's got a mixture of so many different um, experiences with wildlife, with scenery, with history. Um, and it's, you know, it's so affordable. I think that's the other thing too. You know, the people are wonderful. There's always some negatives, like there is in every country you go, but you know, it's got so much going for it. And like I said, it's affordable too. So really, whether you're um, wanting to go on a low budget travel, or if you even look for high end, you can get the highest end. But really, it's a great country for really any sort of travel. Perfect. Perfect. So we're going to be talking through your your two-year, uh, two-year? <laughs> your <laughs> two... Yeah, strap in everyone, we're here for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about your two-week itinerary in India. Um, yeah. So I guess a good place to start is place it on a map. Whereabouts in India did you go to? Well, I, um, my wife and I went over uh, February last year, it was, um, which is a great time to go to India. I, I, could, I would certainly say before I even talk about where we went, just be really careful when you go. Um, April to September is their monsoon season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's startlingly hot in April and May, like 45 to 50 degrees, maximums consistently in many of the places. And then it gets very wet, you know, monsoon, which is really unpleasant. But uh, so November to April, of, November to March, really are perfect times to go. We went February and we had beautiful weather, not a cloud in the sky every day, mid to high 20 degrees temperatures. So we went then. Um, and it's yeah, like I said, it's a great time to go. We wanted to do the the usual, you know, the famous golden triangle, which, you know, to be honest, is definitely still worth it. Which is the really common. If anybody goes to India and they just do certain spots, it's usually Taj Mahal, New Delhi, and um, also Jaipur. Yeah. And we did that, but we also just went off track a little bit too, and. You know, for two weeks, you can get you can see some amazing sites that not so many people go to, as well as the sites that are popular for a reason. I mean, the Taj Mahal's crazily busy, but it's probably out of everything I've seen in my life, it's the one place that I've seen that all the hype 
was as, it was as good as the, it was as good as the hype was. Yeah, um, in place. So, um, do you want me just to start where we started and go through the itinerary where we went? Yeah, each time? absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's start with what you flew into, and then we'll we'll, yeah, we'll sure. go from there. So I'd been teaching over there. I, I do some work over there as a lecturer, and my wife met me in Mumbai, and we flew into Mumbai, and uh, which was a really interesting start. You know, Mumbai is what twenty four million, and Australia's population is twenty five. <laughs> and it's it's not even I think it's about a quarter of the size of London. Um, you know, you can just imagine how many people are there. It's it's certainly a big shot for us. The traffic. So we started there and you know, despite the, the crowds, it's just such a great city. I don't know if it's because it's tropical um in climate, but people whenever you go to sort of a tropical place, I always find that um people seem to be more chilled and relaxed. Maybe they have to be. But the um, mm. it was our it was it was our first real introduction to India and it was amazing Mumbai we um, yeah there's not there's no real big sites like the Taj Mahal but there's some really good places to go but it's really just the restaurants the beaches the beaches you don't swim in but they've they've just got such an atmosphere um, we stayed at a beach called Marina Beach yeah. and. First thing we found out is how different it is because the beaches there nobody swims in. The best you could get, you'd get often thousands of people just standing knee deep in the water, fully dressed. You know, and it's a hot day, yeah. fully dressed, just talking to each other. That's as, that's as close as they get to getting in the water, which is so different to us. You know, in Australia where we're constantly in the at the beach and constantly in the water. Doing I was going to say, is that cultural or is the water dirty there? Because or, or, it's the sea, right? So there shouldn't be too yeah, bad. It's the Arabian Sea. Look, it's, no, look, it is dirty. Um, you know, I, in Mumbai, I wouldn't want to go there. I, I went to Goa, another part of India, and the beaches there are just stunning. Yeah. And it's the same there, though. All the Westerners, we're all in our, um, in our tops, our bathers. Um, <laughs> and, and the uh, Indians would be there in Full dress. The women would be <laughs> their saris, the men in their long sleeve shirts and trousers, often knee deep, thigh deep in water. Um, and they'd just stand there and talk. You know, while we were trying to catch waves, we'd have to dodge them standing in the waves. But in Mumbai, yeah, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to put my head in that water. Yeah, okay. That's kind of yeah. that, that answers another one of the questions I was thinking of asking, which is uh, yeah. would you want to go surfing there? But <laughs> No, not not in Mumbai. I mean, it, it, it's it's a great place just to look at the, um, just to look at how different the culture is. And on the beach, there's a lot of um, street food vendors, which were just amazing. Street food in Mumbai was mind blowing. I mean, I I guess I'm I'm a bit of a risk taker. I, you know, you keep hearing when you're in India, don't eat the, um, you know, don't eat the street food. Don't do this. Don't do that. And uh, you know, we like to. It's, it's it's yeah you, you gotta be, you gotta be sensible you know we we um, avoided things like fresh vegetables but you know if it's cooked there in front of you and you see a whole lot of other Indians around you know that it's a good place and you, we just asked we said is this place good and they said absolutely and we had some of the most incredible street food right on the beach on the sand there um, perfect and some of the most amazing ones are these little balls and I can't remember their name but they are little balls of dough and they inject them with um, tepid, and you can see why it could be dangerous, tepid water 
that's actually filled with, uh, it's infused with flavours, like, like some of them were with tamarind and mint. And so you have this crunchy um, ball that's like a little dough ball that's really crunchy. And when you bite through it, it explodes in your mouth with all these like lukewarm fluids. And it's, it's, it just tastes fantastic. Uh, yeah. I've been told that if you're ever going to get sick though in Mumbai, it's from eating those. So you have to <laughs> You've got to make sure you ask a local, is this place a good place to eat them? Would you eat them? strong gut. Yeah, oh, you do. And I've I've gone, as I think I told you before, I've gone nine times and I've not once had a, I've been lucky, um, I haven't got sick once. And my wife but It sounds got, like you're quite switched on as far as your decisions go. You're not quite, you're impulsive in that you want to do it, but it sounds like you're you're doing the right things and asking about and going for the right places. So yeah. I that's I, maybe where you're winning. Yeah, I think, you know, when you've travelled through, you know, particularly Asia, you, you learn to be sensible, but you can't rock, wrap yourself up in cotton wool and not no. enjoy the food. And you just got to ask the locals and, and not ask the vendors, ask the locals. And and um, the Indians are great at telling you, Indies, Indians are such foodies. I just couldn't believe how much they, they are obsessed with food as much as the French. They love the food and they're the first ones. They want to impress you. Now, I guess that's the thing I've found in all of India. They love hearing if you love their country. And they love knowing what you think of their country and they want to show it off. So they'll tell you where the best chai is, you know, the best tea, or they'll tell you where the best bell puri is, which is, I think, what this is called. They'll just keep oh. telling you these things. So, you know, you just got to listen. And I think sometimes you've just got to, you got to have a bit of a, you got to go with your gut, literally, <laughs> and, yeah. literally and, and have a go. Uh, I think too many people go over there and just don't eat. Don't explore the opportunities, and the food there is amazing. It really is amazing. And when so, you've recovered being ill, it's it's a fantastic memory and experience, and and you <laughs> won't remember how bad you felt. You just laugh it off, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and I've had friends get quite sick over there. I mean, I've I've caught things. I've caught I got dengue fever once going over there. Um, oh jeez. Yeah, I was quite sick. Um, yeah, not recommended. That was caught by <laughs> up in the Himalayas. I got bitten by a mosquito and. Uh, Sure enough, got home, got very sick when I got on the plane. But by the time I got back, I knew something was wrong. Didn't realise it was dengue fever. But it's pretty cool to say you've got it, had it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but other than, other than that, I've been pretty good. Uh, no no deli belly at all, really. Um, so, yeah, we just spent a few days wandering the streets. And Mumbai is just such a great city to wander the streets. There's, there's, there are some there's some really cool architecture. It's 19th century, really Victorian, um, but decrepit, but in a cool way. So, as I said, it's not like some of the other places where you've got so many amazing sites, but it's a cool spot to go. Um, we wandered through an area called Kalaba, where the gate, Gateway of India is, which is right on the water's edge. And, um, you know, it's a hive of activity where the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel is, which was um, attacked in a... Um, it's a good terrorist attack. Um, it's a very famous hotel and Westerns got killed there and that was really fascinating walking through. And even in through those streets, they actually would show you where the, like you could still see the gunfire, the holes, where the terrorists had actually attacked, sadly, Westerners mainly. And they've kept the holes there to show people. Um, so it's pretty sobering to realise that wasn't that long ago there was a terrorist attack there. but. To counter that, the Indian security there, it is amazing. Um, we, we couldn't have felt safer in India. Wherever you go, there's massive security without it being overbearing. But they really are, really want to try and protect not just tourists, but themselves as well. So, yeah. 
you know, we never felt once at all nervous about traveling through India. I guess that's the other thing I'd say right up front. It is what I feel like it's one of the, um, I said they were friendly earlier on and the people there, um, I've never, I've walked through India, you know, nights on my own in the cities and I've never once felt nervous. I think if you're a young female, um, you know, I've heard, spoken to a few girls that I met along the way and talked to, they said, yeah, there were some areas they felt a bit uncomfortable with, but in general, if you're a guy or you're, you know, a couple of young girls, you're fine. Uh, they, they really, it's a, it's a safe place. Pickpocketing is not so common. Um, it, it's a, compared to other places I've traveled, I, I don't think I've ever felt any safer than India. Perfect. Um, so we were there for a few days, then we flew for the main part of the holiday. So we flew from there to a city, we went to Rajasthan, which is okay. the state north of Mumbai, which is probably the most famous state for travel in India. Uh, it's got the deserts and all the historical areas. Um, so it took us about an hour and a half flight to a city called Udaipur, um, where they filmed, they filmed one of the James Bonds was filmed there because it was such a famous location. They call it the Venice of the East. I mean, they seem to call everything the Venice of this, the Venice of that. But what I for is because is, it is, it's a city. I think it's about one half million people. Uh, so it's not a big city by Indian terms, but it's um, just absolutely, and that all the places I've visited in India in terms of cities. It's still, I think, the most beautiful city I've visited in India and probably one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's on the shores of a lake called Lake Pachola, but there's lakes all around it. And there's these, you know, 1,000 metre hills all backing onto these lakes. Um, and there's a, in, oh, there's a small island in the middle of the main lake, which has got the Lake Palace Hotel, which I think I didn't go because it was a ridiculous price, but was voted the number one hotel in the world last year or the year before. But you can see it from everywhere. It's an old palace that the Maharaja owned that he's converted to a, um, you know, a private palace. And it's, that's where they filmed James Bond, one of the James Bonds recently with um, Daniel Craig. Um, it's just, as I said, waterways, um, little canals, beautiful architecture, 15th, 16th century architecture. Um, and it's so well preserved. And uh, there's the city palace on the on the mainland side, which was the main palace of the Maharaja. The one that was in the island was more his pleasure house, uh, whereas the one, the city palace, is still he still lives there, um, but three quarters of it is now opened up as a museum because obviously Maharajas have no power anymore. Um, but they still live there as figureheads. So you can wander through the palace um, and the shopping there is amazing. We we bought some fantastic miniature paintings, which uh, literally, as you can imagine, they I don't even know how they do it. You you almost need a mic. They give you a magnifying glass to look at the work, and the work they do. These the brushes they have are absolutely amazing. The detail they have for that sort of painting. Yeah. Um, we stayed at a hotel right on the water called Jagat Niwas, which is another small palace. And one of the things that, as I said earlier on, is how cheap India is. We had a, we lit, we we're in a palace, we had our own, I say room, but it would be equivalent of a, an apartment in most people's places. We had two massive open balconies that looked, set. you walked out and you're all straight out over the water. 
looking oh, over this beautiful. lake, watching the sunset over that palace in the island. <laughs> and it was, and with the mountains, and yeah, the whole sky was bright orange. We were just lying in, on our balconies. Uh, we fell asleep actually, just because it was a long day. And we fell asleep on the balcony and um, just one of the most glorious places. And we paid for that place, we paid, I'm, I'm trying to convert to pounds, 30 pounds for the two of us. That's um, the hub, and I'm not, it was an apartment. I, I can't even explain how big it was. It was, and just so beautiful. When you go upstairs, and th this building's 17th, 18th century, and you go up to the top, and they've got a rooftop um, bar and rooftop restaurant. So after we had that bit of a snooze, you go up there, and uh, then all the lights came on in the city over the lake. And so we're just sitting, sitting there on the, you know, having a fantastic meal, um, Indian food, um, and. Uh, you know, on the balcony, watching all the stars come out. Yeah, look at uh, Udaipur is, um, a few people know it, but yeah, I, I think out of all the cities I've visited India, it's easily the most beautiful. Um, but also, um, yeah. even compared to, I mean, I've, I'm very lucky I've traveled around it. I, I put it up with, you know, I love Prague. I think Prague's my favorite European city for beauty. It's as beautiful as Prague or Budapest. It's just stunning. Wow. Okay. Yeah, beautiful city. Interesting comparison as well. I like that. Yeah, look, it's it was very different to the rest of India. It's still chaotic, but it's just being, I think, anywhere with water, being surrounded by water, just because of that sort of romantic sort of place. I mean, it was a perfect place. I, I'd been, like I said, teaching in Mumbai before I met my wife, and she flew in, and so I hadn't seen her for two weeks. So it was, you couldn't get a more romantic place to, to go with a partner. That's the word I was going to use. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is really a romantic city. Um, and there's a reason they filmed James Bond there. You, when you go there, if you go there, it's just, it is just such a beautiful city. And there's not many cities in India that you really would say are beautiful. Um, but Udaipur is um, it's a great place. Perfect. So, you're going, sorry? No, I was just going to say, I, I think I was going to say exactly what you were about to do, which is uh, where's next? Yeah, so we then went up to um, another castle. <laughs> We drove north to a little town called Bera, B-E-R-A, and we stayed in a castle, again, another palace, and the Maharaja still lives there. And you actually stay there, and actually, we had dinner with him. He came down and had dinner Whoa. with us. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's so many Maharajas. I didn't realise all these little states that made up India were all, I didn't know, you don't, I really don't, we don't learn much about Indian history in Australia. No. And how rich it is. Um, yeah, we all learned that the English, ruled it for you know, a good 50 years or 100 years or whatever longer um but that's about all we knew um but yeah i mean the Mah this maharaja seems to be maharaja in every 50 meter uh, 50 meters i'm exaggerating but you know you see one every 100 kilometers there's another palace of another little maharaja's area so this town bearer we went there because we've been told i'm an animal lover and my dream is to try and see all the big cats across the world so yeah. uh so Castle Bearers has more leopards, wild leopards, on the earth than anywhere else in the world. Whoa. Um, yeah. And we went to this castle and met the Maharaja, and he, give, he arranges um, jeeps to take you on the land that they still own. And um, so every morning in the evening, because leopards are mainly nocturnal, but they, they're still there early morning. You have to get up really early in the morning and and go just before dusk you go through this um landscape and bearers it's just very um almost 
lunar like it's very dry with cactus but quite a lot of high mountains uh, very rocky mountains so it's rocky sort of desert um, again the mountains would be yeah about 3,000 feet um, and you and that's where they live they live on all these cliff tops and rock rock tops and the guys they, they'd see leopards we couldn't see them and they would see them I don't know how they could drive on these four-wheel drive tracks if you call them tracks yeah the driver would find so there's one and we couldn't see anything until we got closer but yeah we saw I we saw about over the two we we went on a trek a safari that night and a safari the morning after and we saw I think it was six seven leopards some of them we got wow. um, some of them we saw for about 10 minutes just wandering um, on the rocks and if you've ever tried to find leopards in Africa or elsewhere in Europe in India sorry they're so elusive so hard to find these these were not even shy um, just absolutely beautiful animals too and I love photography and um, and wildlife so I got some of my most favorite shots I've ever taken were of the leopards in Bera and even David Attenborough was so excited when I got back there were, David Attenborough did a show on this area oh, and wow. in fact the Maharaja was being interviewed and the reason they do so well there the leopards is um, he realized tourism was where he was going to keep money going into the area so and he realized leopards was something that you just don't see very often even people who go on African safaris like I said just don't see them much yeah so he realized he was onto something but a lot of the leopards were getting wiped out because they were killing the goats of the local farmers so yeah, the, far so the farmers killing, are defending the goats yeah and killing them yeah, absolutely so what he does is if a, if a goat gets killed now he actually pays for them to get two new goats so he gives them money the farmers goats as long as they can show proof that the goat was mauled or killed yeah he actually give them money for two new goats that's fantastic so what's happened yeah and what exactly well what's happened that was about 20 years ago and he said and i don't know the exact numbers but he said like the leopard populations quadrupled in the last 10 years because of um, now they don't see them as a threat they don't mind i mean they don't like seeing their goats die but they know they're going to get recompensed and so there's not such an issue um, yeah. So it was a. That's why there's so many of them, and I. I it was just mind blowing to see this many leopards. Um, and not only did you see the leopards, there were. Um, the other thing up there was, there were dams and there were flamingos. There were um, mugger crocodiles. These three meter length crocodiles. Oh. Yeah, it's just a stunning area. <laughs> um, as well as the landscape being fascinating, and again, there was no. There was probably two or three other jeeps from other. I guess hotels that actually brought people there, but that was it. There we, we I'd often we were often seeing a leopard, and we were just on our own in the vehicle. Um, and um, if you've ever been travelling looking at animals, you can, that's so rare. Even in India, it's rare to be somewhere with very few people around. So yeah, Bera was amazing. But I went there specifically for the um, to see the leopards. But the scenery alone is worth it, and the castle was beautiful too. Um, Again, you know, something like 500 years old. There was, um, we were the only people there that, um, we were the only people in the castle at that time. And I befriended a guy who was, um, I don't know, he was like, I guess, the deputy manager. And he he said, do you want to come and look at my village? So 
we got on a motorbike and he um, we drove to his local village and we walked through his village, met the local farmers. Um, they're all with those amazing turbans that you often see with the Rajasthanis, you know, the bright red turbans. Yeah. And they were shearing sheep with hold hand shears. And we went into a corral where they were bringing all the sheep in. I sat with them and um, it was about 20 shearers, all shearing sheep uh, with these hand shears, just couldn't speak a word of English. Only the guy who was who lived in that village could speak English and was my translator. And we were sitting there and I was letting me take photos. I got some amazing photos of these guys, all in pure white, with these bright red turbans, massive beards, shearing sheep um, with hand shears. Um, it was like I'd stepped back into the 1920s. And um, ride, I was riding a motorbike, like I said, and they offered me, um, <laughs> they offered me uh, marijuana. And uh, and over there, it, that's what they do. It's yeah, it's not even. It's just normal. It's just normal. <laughs> these little villages. And I just said no thanks. I mean, I explained I was riding a motorbike and I hadn't ridden a motorbike for years, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. And they said, but then they said, but you must drink tea with us because it would be a dishonour not to drink tea with us. I thought, okay, well I can drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I started. And anyway, I started. They made this tea. They brought it around, I started drinking it, and after I drank it, I thought, gee, that's weird tasting, it's nice. And um, and I realised, then they all started laughing their heads off at me, and I got up and I could barely stand up, and I realised what that tea had been made out of after the event. So I had to leave the motorbike, <laughs> I had to leave the motorbike in the village, and luckily the guy, who was, he, he took me back on his motorbike, but uh, <laughs> that, that, I mean... Yeah, it's just one of the. I, I, I'm not doing it to talk about those. It was more just the experience. That, that yeah. Just I mean, it was only a small amount. Um, it was just tea. But so um, it's all in good spirit from them, I guess. Oh, it, absolutely. It wasn't yeah, trying to trick you. No, not at all. And they were just. Uh, they that evidently I was the only. They said they'd never had a tourist in their town. Um, wow. Yeah, and all the locals were coming looking at us. Um, they were all coming in to look at us because they'd just never seen, you know, us, you know, blonde, you know, these are small little towns in the middle of nowhere. It's not like obviously the main cities in India where they get tourists all the time. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, we were definitely a. Um, um, we were definitely. We felt like we were the tourists. That were, so they were looking at us, and uh, especially because they knew when they found out we we're from Australia. Um, that you know Indians love cricket. As soon as you say from Australia, they they all want to play <laughs> cricket against you. In fact, I pretended I was. I, I do look a bit like him, but probably not as good looking, but I pretended I was Matthew Hayden once. And uh, I think whether they believed me or whether they didn't, that, that, they thought it was a good story anyway. So I became yeah. Matthew <laughs> <laughs> for a short period. Um, so we left Castle Berra and we went to um, a little town, again, another little town called Ranakpur, um, R-A-N-A-K-P-U-R. And it's a World Heritage Site. There's a Jain temple. J-A-I-N. Do you know the Jain religion? I don't know. Introduce me to it. Uh, yeah, well, so there's, I mean, most people know Indians are primarily Hindus. Yes. And there's obviously a fairly strong Muslim population and Christian. Um, but there's also obviously Buddhists and Jains. They're the big five. Um, I didn't know anything about Jains. I'd heard about, well, now that I got, I realise now I did know about them. I didn't know what it was called. They, the ones that won't even... They won't. They'll often have the priest will often wear a um, 
face masks, not because of coronavirus, but because they don't want to inhale any insects. They don't want to kill any animal at all. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they believe, so they're obviously strict vegetarians. Um, and some of the extreme ones won't wear any clothes, the priests, that they, because it, they don't want to, they want to be completely in touch with nature. Um, it's a very old religion. I think it's about 5% of Indians are Jains. They're, they're also really very good business people. Um, some of the wealthiest people in the world are actually Jain. Um, the richest, the biggest home in the world, which is in Mumbai, the most expensive, is owned by a, a guy who um, is a Jain. So they're very good business people, but they also don't believe in harming any wildlife, any animal at all. So they're um, very spiritual, very peaceful people. Um, they're like vegetarian Jews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, they, um, so they, they're amazing carvers too. I've been to so many Jain temples across India now. But the one in Ranakpur is the, like one of their the holiest sites of all. It's, um, it's 15th century, so it's very old. Um, it's, um, I, had to, I, I had a look because I, I remember how large it was. It's purely this temple's carved completely out of marble. But it's probably about 300 metres by 300 metres, all marble. Uh, maybe larger than that. It's got 29 halls, 80 domes, and and I read this is uh, not for memory because I thought I better do some research to remember. 1,444 pillars, all individually carved. All every one of them is different carving, and these pillars are about um, you know, 10 meters, 20 meters high. You can get an idea of how big it is. This this um, this temple, and it's in the middle of the same mountain range, just in the middle of nowhere. It's the only thing. It's just this um, temple, and there's a monastery there. And when you go in, there's some junior priests. If, I, I don't know if they're called priests, but the equivalent of priests who come and um, show you around. They don't want any money, um, which does is is not too common in India. Everybody often wants money in India, but they no, they're very specific. They do not want any money, but they'll show you around, give you the history. Um, and it's good karma for them to show people who aren't Jains this. Um, yeah. But just to walk in a temple with you know, that many columns, all individually carved, with elephants, with uh, peacocks, it's just so elegant. And 100% marble, and all different colours of marble. Obviously, there's the classic sort of stone-coloured, but you know, some of it's red, some of it's green. The peacocks are in all the different colours, and it's all, they haven't painted the marble. The marble's actually, they've chosen the marble colours to make these, you know, four-metre peacocks. Um, just, Ranakpur is absolutely beautiful. Um, and that's, so, what I'm doing when I go from Castleberry to Ranakpur, we're heading east towards Jaipur, which a lot of people know, you know, that's more of a common city. So we're doing a gradual drive to Jaipur on these very small roads. Yeah. Um, I didn't add to how we got around. We hired a driver. Um, you can go by train, and train in India is a lot of fun and it's cheap, but you don't get to go to these sort of places. And getting a driver in India is not expensive. Like, it was costing us. We had an amazing driver. He's become a friend of ours now. Um, awesome. And yeah, he's got a great good AJ. He's just amazing. I got put on to him by actually an English woman who said you wouldn't get a better driver. But, you know, he, we've used a lot of drivers because he's always so busy. AJ is still the best. But, you know, it costs, it's cost me every time I go about for a day 30 to 40 pounds 
for the two of us. So that's for the car, for all the petrol, um, everything. Um, and that's a good car. deal. Yeah, but that, uh, it is. And so I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll just go by train. And so the trains are even cheaper and they're great to go from one big location to another. But one of the best things in India is going to these remote places. Mm. Between the big cities, um, you just don't get that uh, on a train. And of course, you know, it's your driver. So you tell him where you want to go. Um, you tell him where you want to visit. And they'll Precisely. drive you there. They'll drop you out at the car park and they'll wait for you until you're ready. And then they'll pick you up. It's so easy. And it's, I don't think that's that expensive. You know, 30 to 40 uh, quid for um, a whole a day. And that's literally, you tell them you want to get the, up at 6 a.m. They'll be there at 6. You tell them you want to go to a restaurant. Yeah, eight o'clock. I sometimes feel horribly guilty because you think Could these guys ever sleep. But whoever you told them, they say, "No, no, that's our job." Um, but thirty, forty quid is pretty much. I don't think much at all. In Australia, you wouldn't even get a car to hire for that price, let alone no. pay for petrol. And to have a driver. And the one thing I'd tip for anybody: never drive in India. Do what? never ever consider driving. It is the craziest country in the world to drive. So get them to it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, that. I, I mean, in the end, you get a blase, but the first, you know, when you were, my wife hadn't been before at this trip, and I'd been a few times for work, and I forgot, it was funny looking at her face, you know, when you'd actually go out and drive into incoming traffic that was only 20 metres away, because you know the guy on the left would actually pull over and let you go back in. There'd be people going down one-way streets the wrong way, You'd have to dodge camels, you'd dodge bullet carts, you'd dodge um, mopeds, mo motorbikes making one lane into seven lanes. Um, honestly, it's crazy. Uh, it, I find it really exhilarating. I like a bit of adrenaline. Um, but I know some, <laughs> don't cope, some people don't cope with it. But in the end, you know that these guys are experts. And even if they have an accident, I've been in two small car accidents there. You're driving so slow because the roads are so bad and there's so much traffic. There's never really much damage. Um, look, I know people die there, so I'm not belittling that in road crashes. But of course, but you, if you go with somebody who's a driver, it's their living. You know, they know what they're doing, and you just put your trust in them and do your research. You know, I I got it through actually um, TripAdvisor, and I befriended a woman called Alison from England, who I've now met. Um, and she's like, she's the encyclopedia of India. I'm not joking. <laughs> and she got, she put me on this guy's name, and she got me. If I mentioned her name, wherever I mentioned her name, they'd say, "Oh, you're a friend of Allison's," and we'd get a discount. And I guess the reason I'm sharing that is, oh wow, do some, do some research when you go to India. Sorry, what was that, Chris? I just said, oh wow, but yeah, I was also yeah. thinking I, about the, we, the traffic. It's it's actually interesting you said because there's um there's just the theory chaos theory. So if in the UK people started doing that, we're not used to it and there would still be some people trying to follow regulations so you'd have more accidents. Yeah. It's not as safe as the UK, but chaos theory just is, is a bit like when birds fly in a big flock. There isn't yeah. a particular leader. They're just going with the pack. It works because yeah. everyone's doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting because that's what my wife and I say. Hattie, Hattie, my wife, Hattie. Hattie and I would say um, it's just... There's something about India, it's organised chaos. Yeah. It just seems to work. Not just their driving, everything I do seems so time intensive. 
they've got jobs for such menial jobs, but they need that for such a big population. You need somebody, all they do is just to stand at the door and open the door for you. Um, there's so many jobs that just wouldn't exist in Australia because you couldn't afford it. But over there, they need that to keep their economy and to keep people actually in some work. Um, yeah. So, but it is, it's, it's, it, it somehow works. I can't even explain it. Um, until you get there, you realise, okay, it's crazy and sometimes it frustrates you. But it, yeah, it does work. It, it, I like the description you said about the organised chaos. It's, yeah, it's very apt. Um, so we then went from Ranakpur to a town called Deagar. Uh, again, these are little places, but you know, if anybody wants to do something, it's, it's on the way to Udaipur to Jaipur, all these trips, this trip I'm talking about. Um, and you'd miss this if you went on a train. Deogar is spelled D-E-O-G-A-R-H. And we stayed in a palace there. Again, another palace. It seems to be a theme. But we stayed in a palace there too, which I've seen on TV again two or three times on different travel shows since then. Again, this was, I think this was again another 16th century palace. And we were staying again in another massive room. Thanks to that lady called Alison, we yeah. used her name, we got half the price again. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> we went, just to give you an idea of how opulent this place was, and again, it wasn't expensive. It was less than 50 pounds for the night for the two of us. And that includes breakfast and dinner um, in, the, in the palace itself. We, um, you had a massive old bath, and we were, you know, I was lying in the bath, and you're looking up, in your bathroom and there's a frescoes on the ceiling and they're 15th century frescoes so you're actually in a, like a museum you're actually living in a museum it was very yeah it was it, we couldn't believe we we're actually you felt like you're in a museum and you were somehow staying overnight somebody had forgotten to let you out you're actually staying in this place and um <laughs> we yeah it was amazing and we wandered again there was just so few people in this palace and it is the size of a palace Pink is pink with sort of white, very, um, look like you know, a, a cake, garish cake, the colouring, with turrets everywhere. We were just wandering the alleyways, wandering through all the turrets, running upstairs, downstairs. We'd find different parts of the palace. There was nobody in there. And we were, they said we were fine to wander around as much as we liked. So we're running through these um, stairways and, and without the light of our phone, we wouldn't even know it because it was pitch black at times. But you didn't come out, you'd open the door and you'd come up to the top of the roof. And again, we just stand, stood there watching the sunset over there, these desert mountains on the top of the, where the palace was on the top of a small hill overlooking the village. Just magical. Um, and of course, we'd always have a, when we could, not there, but we'd go downstairs to the bar and have a gin and tonic because you wouldn't get a better place for a gin and tonic. You know, or a place yeah. like that, anyway. Um, next day, we went to... Uh, a town, a very famous um, town for its religion, uh, Pushkar, P-U-S-H-K-A-R. And it's, they have a very, I, we were there the wrong time, they've got a massive camel, uh, it's desert again still, um, yeah. but they have a very, I think a million people go there in January or December, I'm not sure the exact month, for the Pushkar Camel Fair, where all the camel trains come from all the parts of India to compete on the, what's the most beautiful camel. Um, and they trade camels. They trade them there. Like it's their big auction. Um, there's a million people to go to this town of about 15,000 people. 
Um, so it must be amazing when you, when it's there. But Pushkar's on uh, another lake, very holy lake. So they've got Ghats, G-A-A-T, where the Hindus do a lot of their ceremonial bathing of themselves. Um, so we went in there and there were people washing themselves not to have a bath, but to actually, you know, wash away their sins and so on. And again, you, you, one another thing I found about Indians was, you know, you, you wouldn't ever photograph somebody in the church praying in in Australia or the Europe, but over there they just don't seem to. I mean, you know, we always ask them permission, but they 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 are quite open about their religion, um, yeah. whether it's Buddhist, whether it's Hindus. Um, sometimes you feel like you are prying, but they were lovely, and they loved explaining it. So, um, so your Pushkar was beautiful, very spiritual place. Um, I don't know if there was a million people in that little town, if it was that spiritual, but it was when we were there. Um, that was then we drove through to Jaipur, which um, a lot of people know. Um, as I said, that's one of the big three that people are going to go. Yeah, and Jaipur is the capital of Rajasthan. I think it's seven million people. Um, they call it the pink city because a lot of the um, paintwork is is pink. Obviously, they've got Jodhpur, which we didn't get to, which is further west, and that's the blue city. It's all blue. Um, yeah. Udaipur, I think, is the white city um, because all of it's white. Um, but yeah, Jodhpur is pink everywhere. Um, very crazy city, and it's the first city other than Mumbai that we encountered huge amounts of traffic, but. Um, Look, it's got some of the most amazing sites in India. The, it's got the city palace where, again, the Maharaja there is the main Maharaja of Rajasthan. Still lives there, but you can actually wander through most of his palace. They've got the um, the markets there are probably the best markets I've ever been to. There's um, the city centre where the palace is. It's probably, there's a square of about a kilometre by kilometre by kilometre and all alleyways right through that tangle of um, some of the most amazing artisans who, who make jewellery, bangles, um, you know, saris, um, scarves. My wife, I don't think I've ever seen anybody buy as many scarves as my wife bought that day. Um, and and it's, it's amazingly cheap. Um, you've got a barter, which I'm not good at. We're not great at bartering. It's not a big thing in Australia, but we got better at it. In fact, they told us off for not bartering. <laughs> you're not doing it right and they, they told us and which really helped us they actually were great they actually said no no you've got to they told us you've got to take it down to a third and then push us up because we were quite happy because the price was so cheap you know, yeah well, that's the thing isn't it I don't know yeah. do, do you know um, they're pretty worldwide but do you know who the Top Gear guys are yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Clarkson and that yeah, um, yeah. so on their Grand Tour uh, episode from Amazon uh, Jeremy Clarkson's giving a bit of a talk saying, saying, listen, you can barter, but it's uncomfortable for me and it's already so cheap for me and it means yeah. a lot of money for him. So I'm yeah. just going to buy it as it is. And then he starts slating how, 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 you know, bad bartering is. And it instantly goes to Richard Hammond, who's going, no, nah, no, nah, one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which I thought was a funny, a funny uh, comparison, well, whether you're getting involved with the culture or whether you're a bit more generous in giving. So, yeah. Well, we, we, it's really interesting because we we'd barter just because it was fun in the end, but then we'd realise when we were starting to walk away, hang on, we're arguing over fifty cents. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'd then go back and say, okay, we yeah, we just we 
when you realize, I mean, it is, we got some amazing, my wife, you know, the Hades jewelry she got there was so ridiculously cheap. And absolutely, it's all handmade. I mean, that's the other thing. Everything in this town centre has to be from, has to, can't be, it's all got to be from the makers. And it's just, I mean, uh, anybody, any woman who loves jewellery or, um, like I said, scarves and, um, you know, we've got tablecloths, we've got um, um, paintings. That was, it was just amazing um, yeah. and so cheap. I think Jaipur, out of any, I've, again, travelled a lot in India, there's some great shopping, but I think Jaipur is easily the best place in India to shop. And I hate shopping, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it was just such an experience to wander through and you'd go to a place and they'd want to ply you with chai tea or they'd give you um, um, coffee, the thick Indian ice cream. Um, just, it was just such a good atmosphere and it was a lot of fun too. It's busy, it's busy, but it's, um, but it's a lot of fun and yeah, again, it's, it's, it, the quality of it's amazing. Um, We've got a lot of that stuff adorning our house now as paintings. And as I said, my wife's got so many scarves from Jaipur as well. Um, but yeah, and also there's a lot to see, but the Hawa Mahal is just absolutely beautiful. That's sort of the signature place of Jaipur. It's, uh, um, I think, yeah, 1799 it was built. It was a five-story sort of tower, um, all in pink, that had little windows through it. Um, if you ever Google Jaipur, it's like the thing that comes up always. And it was, it's only very narrow. It's like five stories high, but it's only probably about five metres deep. Um, and it's what would happen was all of the concubines of the Maharaja, we had, he had many wives and concubines, they weren't allowed to leave the palace. But this was like sort of on the outside of the palace, but they could go up there and open their own individual window to look on outside the world. Which is a bit sad, but it was a, it's a beautiful place. Um, but um, when you realise it must have been a tough life to be a, a woman back in the 18th century in India, that's for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. We went to a, another place that is very famous. If you Google Yojapur, you'll see this come up. It's the Jal Mahal. And that's um, a summer palace that's right on a lake. Um, so it's on a mic. You can't get there. It, you, I just wish you could. I think everyone would love to get out on a boat and um, sail across to it. It's on a lake, but this beautiful palace in the middle of a lake with, again, another mountain behind it. It's, it's, a, it's one of those classic Indian shots that uh, if you saw it, most people would know that one. Um, yeah. We then went up to a place called the um, Gaita, G-A-I-T-A, at some monkey temple. Um, all the macaque monkeys live there, which um, macaques can be, if you ever experience macaques, they can be pretty aggressive wherever you go. Whether you go to Bali, whether you go to India or Nepal, anywhere, macaques tend to be in Gibraltar. They just never, they're never the gentlest monkeys. But these ones are really chilled. We've been warned about them, but this um, monkey temple was a series of temples going up into a very steep, valley became like almost like a canyon so we went there at sunset so the sun was setting in the canyon there were like little uh, dams where on each in the middle and on each side of the dams in this canyon were um, temples and it was just beautiful and I'd say there would have been a thousand monkeys there just um, you know just chilling playing with each other grooming each other um, just so much fun to look at them um, beautiful um, beautiful temples too and again I think we were the only tourists that I can remember seeing there um, it, 
and again, you're in one of the busiest cities and one of the biggest tourist cities, and you can go to those sort of places um, and still get away from the tourists. Yeah. We then, um, one of the other things that I think is really worthwhile talking about in, um, in Jaipur, and again, highlights that I love my animals, yeah. but this was the place that freaked me the most, was there's a little national park in the suburbs. Jaipur is surrounded by mountains, again, these desert mountains. Um, and uh, we went to a place called Jalana, J-A-H-L-A-N-A, -A um, National Park, which is literally, literally in the suburbs of um, Jaipur. It's like a 20-minute drive from, the, from those markets I was talking about. And it's got wild leopards. So we, were, we went there again late afternoon. And we saw three leopards, we saw antelope, we saw... Oh, wow. Yeah, and this is like in the suburb of, of Jaipur. And, um, you know, I've had people, like I said, go on safaris all through Africa, trying to find the elusive leopard and couldn't see one. We're in Jaipur, right in the heart of the city, in an, well, 20 minutes out of the heart of the city, and there were leopards. Um, just just mind-blowing. They were literally... One was sitting on a the tem on a temple because there was a Hindu temple in the national park, and she was lying on the temple like a cat, lying oh, wow. in the sun. Um, and you see people travel the world trying to find these things, and there's some wild leopards just just in, just outside the town. Did you get a photo of that as well? Because that yeah. looks quite a picturesque shot. Yeah, I didn't. I got. I didn't. I got. Um, I'm just trying to think. I got. I got two of them, but they were. It was moving by the time I took the photo, so it's a bit blurred. Um, yeah, not as good as the ones I got in Bera. The ones in Bera were just amazing, um, because as soon as it heard the jeep coming, we could see it sitting on the wall just basking in the sun. As soon as the jeep came, because it literally, the road went straight to the temple. So we would have actually been right alongside it, and as soon as we got probably 100 metres from it, it, it scampered. Um, but because uh, that that yeah, they're, they're pretty shy animals. Like I said, they're not like tigers. Um, which basically rule that the king of the jungle for a reason. They, yeah. they they're not scared of anybody, tigers. But um, <laughs> it's pretty elusive. So uh, we were pretty lucky to see them in two places. But they're pretty uh, big tigers, aren't they? I, I saw a oh, size yeah. comparison. It was on the internet, though. Um, that's a thing. So I never know if it's true or not. But I saw a size comparison between a tiger and a lion, and it was pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, well, I've seen I've seen all of them. I saw lions in India as well. In um, just recently when I came back from India this time. Your lions are big, but when you compare them to tigers, yeah, tigers are another level. Yeah. And tigers are the biggest cat. Um, I'll, I'll talk more about tigers later, but yeah, what, the, the guide, just to finish off that story, the guide said the one that we saw was a big male. He, with his tail, he was 3.3 metres, so 10 foot long. Jesus. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's just, <laughs> you don't, because you see mess you up. Bit, Oh, absolutely. The one that we saw, this one that I saw, had actually killed three, had eaten three people in his life. Jeez. But because he was in a national park, and two people he killed were actually um, national park guides, um, they didn't kill him because uh, it's a national park. And their attitude was, well, that's the, you know, that's the risk we take. So yeah, he was that, a man. That makes sense as well, doesn't it? Because cause you're, you're in their territory. Yeah, like, absolutely. If there were giants and we um, um the giants, you know, came to us, I, I think there'd be a. I'd like to think it'd be yeah. a similar thinking. 
Absolutely. And the thing is, they look, I mean, you're in a Jeep, open Jeep, all these safaris I went in, you're in an open Jeep. This male tiger I was talking about, he walked past me. If I put my hand out, I could have stroked him. Wow. Uh, and he was a man eater. And yet he looked, you just want to pat them. They honestly yeah. are the most they are the most beautiful looking animal right and, and you know if you give it if you give them a pat you're going to get a very close pat <laughs> it's the last thing you probably ever do but yeah and they purr this this male was purring like a but a purr on steroids it was uh, you did you you realize that domestic cats and tigers and lions are okay there's a size difference but they're all cats they behave yeah, they come in from the same place yeah they do um, last but not least, so we were in Jaipur for about, we spent three days in Jaipur. We could have stayed a lot longer. Mm. The last day, which was probably our favourite, one of our favourite days of India, and um, we went to, it's a suburb called Amber, Amer, A-M-E-R, and there's the Amber Fort, um, which Amber Fort, I think, would be, you know, Haley and I were saying, out of everything we've seen in India, it's the Amber Fort and the Taj Mahal would be the two most beautiful buildings we've ever seen in our lives. Yeah. Um, Amber Fort's up on a, again, a mountain in the desert, but very mountainous here. And it's it's yellow. It's a 13th century palace um, that was built as a fort with a massive, um, I think it's the third biggest um, it's got a um, like the Great Wall of China. It's got a, a protective um, system right around it. It's only there's only the Great Wall of China and another part of India that's actually got anything quite that same size. But it's bright yellow, a golden yellow fort with thousands of rooms. Um, they still take people up. They still sadly use elephants to carry people up there, which yeah. is a bit sad. Um, but you can walk up there, which is what we did. Um, but inside the gardens, um, as I said, the palace, the, the um, paintings on the walls, just stunning. It's one of the most, and it's right, the view over the, these desert mountains is just spectacular. And we, we absolutely love the Amber Fort. And uh, yeah, I think if you go to India, if I, people said there are only two places to go to, I'd say the Taj Mahal and the Amber Fort are easily two of the best places. Um, I mean, it's busy. Um, but it's busy for a reason, um, and it's such a big fort that you, know, you, you can get lost from all the other people. One of the things we did do, and I'd say for people, if you've got a little bit of money, not and I say a lot because it doesn't cost much, those sort of places, I'm not big on, I like travelling on our own, but we actually, with those sort of places, we actually got a guide. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you don't know what you're looking at, and we, we just told them straight up, but we don't want one of the... Yeah, one of the things I get nervous about guides is some of them want to spend hours looking at one painting, explaining, you know, we're not that, our patience isn't that good. <laughs> you know, but we, but they, you want to find somebody who can give you enough information that you can learn from it, but mm. also not so long that you're spending all day there. And we just, we seem that we just told the people what we, we wanted, but we said we only will be here for two hours. So what can you show us in two hours? And the thing why it's so good is they, if you get an official guide, particularly in India, they get access to parts of the palace that nobody else can. You can't as just an individual tourist. So we would just get a guide ourselves. Cost us five dollars, five five pounds, sorry, yeah. for the two of us. Yeah, you know, which isn't that much, I don't think. Very, very um, cheap, yeah. Yeah, and they would, 
walk around with you. They take you into doors you didn't even know. They had keys to doors that wouldn't even open, you know, with locks that they had keys to. Oh, wow. Uh, and you go into, yeah, it was, and we found that, that was the first place we did that, and we started doing that after. There's some places you don't need to, like the Taj Mahal, you don't need to, you don't need a guide, and there's guides in every place, official, official guides. Mm. But something like a palace, which was so vast, and yeah, you, it's a bit daunting when you get up there and you think, well, what, where am I going to go? What am I going to look at? Um, it was we just said, look, show us the best things and show us stuff that nobody else can go to, and it was fantastic. So we picked the places, but we probably, probably one in every three places we went to, we did get a guide and we really valued it. It was worth the five pounds. It's um, super helpful. I, I actually, I as far as a guide for a location goes i've had guided guided hikes i think they're different mm. um as far as a guide for a location i actually used them in pompeii too and yeah. i thought they were fantastic i didn't use the people that approach you on the street before you get to pompeii who i presume are legitimate but they, they're a little bit pushy we actually went to yeah. the gates uh yeah. we went to the first gate and asked for an english speaking one and uh, they said there's no one there but we actually just went down to the next entry point onto pompeii and there was one there about to start a tour so a lot through us some money and uh, and it was fantastic like like you say they, they take you through they explain what you're looking at otherwise you're just looking at old stuff <laughs> yeah and that's why otherwise old stuff's just old stuff in the end isn't it precisely with no perspective and knowledge it, yeah. it's it's nothing no and yeah it can, a good guide can really add huge value um and just waste not waste your time um yeah. As I said, that when you go to a place as big as the amp before, and it's massive, um, it can be daunting, and you can get you really don't know where to go. Um, same with Pompeii. I've been to Pompeii. I 100% agree. I didn't realise how big Pompeii was until we got there. Um, yeah, again, you, without somebody there, you you really don't get the value out of it. And it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't expensive. And the tip I'd always say in India is make sure, a bit like you said too, with Pompeii. Wait till you get to the where you pay the money because yeah. that's where official guides have to be. That yes. all always you know, the dodgy ones, the ones before it. Yeah. Um, they won't be able to stand next to the gate there and they'll have a badge. You've got to make sure and look at the badge, not make sure it's not a fake badge. Um, yeah. And um, they and they add huge value. And often when you ask them, a lot of these guys, like the guy in the end before, he's he had a degree in history, so Jeez, he was yeah. he was yeah. I mean, there's just not that many jobs, you know. So for these people, um, support them. Yeah. So and they love it. You can tell somebody when they love that what they're doing, and he certainly did. And we found that in a lot of the places. Um, like I said, it was really cheap. But make sure you get them at the gate. The yeah. other thing is, I will add about all the things. You'll find that to be a foreigner in India, the fees to enter these places is usually another zero in rupees. So what I mean by that is you might pay 100 rupees, which is about one pound to go if you're a local, if you're an Indian. Mm-hmm. But for us to visit something would cost us a thousand rupees, which is ten dollars, ten pounds. Yeah. But and in the end, I got used to it because, you know, they have such little money there compared to us. Yeah. And when you see how much work's got to be done on keeping these places up to date, it's not too bad. I didn't think anywhere I went was overly expensive. I think the most we ever paid was, I think we paid most ever for any sort of palace or anything like that was probably $15. No, sorry, not even 15. um, Probably about 10 pounds was the most we ever paid. 
and that and and um, that was extreme. I, I think that might have been um, one or two places. So most places were usually five to ten pounds, and they're massive too. It's not like you get there and you you're in and out within ten minutes. These yeah. palaces are quite significant structures, and there's a lot it's of worth the money. Yeah, it is. And one of the other massive advantages being an it, and it, you feel a bit embarrassed. Is there's a there's a, a a line for the locals and there's a line for tourists. And when you get to some of these places, it can look quite daunting. And that's another thing when you get there, don't panic if you see a queue that goes for sometimes a kilometre or longer. That's you. And if you see, and they're nearly always the Indians, they have to queue because it's so much cheaper. A lot more go through, yeah. so there's less tourists. So there's a tourist line which can often be. You know, we went to Hermione's tomb in Delhi, and honestly, the queue would have been two hours waiting for the Indians, and we, we walked straight to the gate, walked straight to the ticket um, at the same time, because nice. the ticket, there was no, there's no, there wasn't that many tourists there. Um, we managed to tell a few tourists who didn't understand that, who were queuing up in the other line, do you realise you could come into the other one? Um, yeah, because they've been standing there for an hour. So oh, Christ, always yeah. look for two lines. Yeah, I mean the lines can be horrific if you're in the local line. Um, but even if you're on the local line, you still have to pay the. They'll know you're not Indian. <laughs> well, certainly they do with us. Um, yeah, they know if you're not Indian, so you, you, they, yeah. you're going to happy to pay it up even if you're in the wrong line. Um, so we left Jaipur and then went to Bundi. Um, B-U-N-D-I, which is probably one of my favourite places. Um, Bundi's Brahmin Blue, so it's all blue. Again, uh, it's a bit south of Jaipur. Um, very chilled old town, about 100,000, 200,000 people. Um, it's a walled town, so it's you know like a European medieval walled town. The same there, and again, they've got a palace on a hill, which is 15th century, and this is one of the places I was referring to before. I went up there with Haiti, we were the only people in the whole palace. Wow. The only, we paid our entry, um, and there wasn't, other than a few gardeners and cleaners, um, but that was it. There was nobody up there other than oh. us. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and again, I'm not talking of a small building. This is a full-on palace. Um, and you go further up to a fort, up, you walk along the turret, the wall, to the fort. The only thing you have to be careful on there is the monkeys. Um, okay. And we did get a guy, the guy said, you've got to come up with me. He gave me a stick. And I said, what do you need a stick for? He said, you'll find out soon. So we walked <laughs> up there and the, yeah, and the monkeys were going for us. Um, we just whacked the stick against the, the wall. And that was enough to scare them away. We didn't actually hit them, but it was just to scare the sound because... Um, such a, a movie line, isn't it? What do I need this for? <laughs> you'll find yeah. out soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, a couple came down the other way, Canadian couple, and they hadn't, this guy didn't know that they'd even been up, because like I said, there's nobody up there, there's just nobody up there, and she'd been attached, she'd had her handbag almost snatched, she had to, the guy, the other guy, her husband had to actually grab it off the macaque, who was actually fighting over the um, the, the handbag with his wife. Oh, that's a yeah, well, and also you got to be careful. I mean, they they carry rabies, um, so yeah. that's that's more my concern. Is I'm not that I've even been close to being attacked by a monkey, but yeah, the thought of getting rabies from a monkey is a bit scary. On that, the other thing I'd also add in India is um, street dogs. Street dogs are everywhere. You want to so, avoid them big time. You don't like dogs? 
No, it, it, I love dogs, but unfortunately, in those regions, if they carry rabies, you, you can't go up and cuddle them. Yeah. No, I, um, I mean, I'm a dog lover, and most dogs love me, but there's been a couple of times yeah. my wife was tapped by one, but didn't just growled at, but yeah, it's pretty frightening. And I got yeah. encircled by a group of them in Goa, um, coming oh, back wow. strong on the beach, walked back to my beach house, and uh, they surrounded me in a pack. How did you get out of that, out of interest? Uh, I don't know if the answer is going to be sweet kung fu style or uh, <laughs> or sprinting, but how did you well, avoid that situation or get away well, from it? Well, there was one way out. It was, I was just walking on this beach and there's one way out and that was the only place they, that there wasn't a full circle was out to the water. So I was walking on the water's edge. They encircled me except where the water was. So I thought, am I going to have to swim out and then swim one way or the other and hope that they can't swim and follow me. I can imagine a pack of dogs following me swim, but it was pretty <laughs> scary. Um, in the end, they could hear the commotion, all the growling, and a woman who, um, they're street dogs, they're not her dogs, who worked in the res little resort, I say a resort, I mean, it's, it was just a series of beach huts. She heard it and she came down and they knew her and she shooed them away. But as soon as I started walking back towards her, they started coming at me again. So I just said, no, no. So I actually walked in the water, knee-deep water, <laughs> until I got about 100 metres away and then sort of thought there must be another way in. So I crept in around the back and found a, a guy who did massages in a little massage shack and he actually helped me climb a fence to my place. Oh, jeez. Well, they're pretty scary. I mean, they were all you know, mid-sized dogs and really skanky looking. And to be honest, I wasn't worried about getting bitten. The whole time when they were surrounding me, all I could think was... Um, Rabies, rabies, rabies. That's all that was in my mind. Yeah. I wasn't worried about getting bitten, so to speak. Because your just... vaccination just means you have 24 hours to get to the hospital. It doesn't even that's mean, right. oh, whoopsie, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's right. It does, I, I, I mean, I've got it. I've had it done not because of this. Um, I went to Nepal and got it for Nepal because Nepal's got even a bigger issue of rabies. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, you're right though. If you get bitten by a dog or a, or a, or a bat or a um, or a monkey, which is the most common one, is the monkey they say. Mm -hmm. um, you, you've only got it gives you an extra 24 hours to get to uh, have another shot once again. Um, it doesn't mean you're protected. It just gives you 24 hours extra to find, um, as you said, a safety net. So, yeah, so Bundi, no dogs, but yeah, plenty of plenty of. Um, yeah, of monkeys that were, didn't hurt me at all, but the palace is amazing. Um, the town is just so beautiful. It's got an old market square, yeah, you, with all the street vendors coming out, all the fruit and vegetables at sunset. Absolutely beautiful. And uh, I became a chai fanatic. Australians love their coffee. You know, we're, we're coffee addicts. Good. And we're coffee and wine snobs. Um, you know, we think we have the best coffee and the best wine, I think we do, but we have crapped shocking tea. Um, Indian tea, chai tea is just amazing. Um, yeah, I've fallen in love with it and I've now gone over with my, some of my mates over to India since and obviously my wife too. Um, and we've all become chai fanatics and it's never the same when you get it back here, but in Bundi, there was a guy who had a self-reclaimed um, shop saying best chai in the world as Ritz described by a Lonely Planet guide. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll test him out. And I said, I said, I, you're pretty confident? And he said, I am. He said, it's <laughs> the best. 
and it took him 20 minutes to make. It was such the theatre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had all the different fresh herbs, the cardamom, the, the cloves, the cinnamon, but it was all fresh. And he ground it up in a mortar and pestle. He was filtering it. He was pouring it like the Moroccan tea. He had more pouring it from about two metres, not two metres, about one metre above his yeah. head. Um, it took him 20 minutes to make. Um, but honest, and then it came and it was, he was right. It was the best chai tea I've ever had. Wow. Just so spicy and creamy and and it cost me it cost me ten rupees, which is what? Um yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And that'd be five pound fifty for a small in the UK. <laughs> Same in Adelaide too, and it's nowhere near as nice. Yeah. Um just the best I mean I've had I'm, like I said, I love my chai tea. But that was honestly the best. And I think it was partly because of all the theatre. You know, those little ones are often the best ones. We went to one in Mumbai, digressing, that was at a place called Sassoon Dock, which is a fish market where the fish come straight off onto the jetty. Um, really dirty place, just, you know, they barter over the fish. There's little fish everywhere and prawns everywhere. And um, and there was a guy just, just hanging out there with a little saucepan and everything. And we got, and he, I reckon he had the sec, second best try, and that was 5p. Um, yeah. And again, we knew it was good because all the fishermen, when they got off the boats, went straight there to get their chai. Um, yeah, those sort, of, those sort of memories and those sort of places are just amazing. Um, but um, chai tea is certainly something that I, you know, I hanker for. Every time I go back to India or Nepal, I think, yes. Just like when I go to England, I, hang, I can't wait to get a pint. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in India, it's chai tea. They just—it's another world. They really do it well when it's done well. Um, so then I we end, then went to um, from Bundi. We went to Ranthambore, um, which is I've been as I said, I'm addicted to animals. We talked about tigers and that tiger. I won't go over again, but that's where I saw him. Ranthambore is. Uh, one of the most famous places, probably the most famous place in the world to see tigers. Um, and I went to four other parts, and we've seen them twice now, in Ranthambore and a place called Panna, which is a bit further east. Um, yeah, there's nothing like seeing a wild tiger. Yeah, I've seen them in zoos, and really, them, I thought they were big, but like I said, when you see them in the wild, you realise that the ones we see in the zoos are just not they're just not the same size. I mean, they're obviously bred from captivity. Yeah. They just don't have those opportunities. They're still big, but when you see a tiger in the wild um, right next to you, it's just, oh, it's visceral. Um, you know, they're easily the most beautiful animals. I, I'm a tiger. It's, it's my number one animal in life. And to see wild tigers, yeah, it, my wife was crying, which she's not a very emotional girl, but just to see tigers wild. Yeah, we had a cub. Yeah. Cub sit right next to us. Sit, sit like this cub. I say a cub. The cub was about two meters long, like the size, <laughs> size of in a zoo. And the national park guide said, "No, no, that's a cub." And when, the next minute, his mother came out, and we knew it was definitely. And we realised what a cub was because when the mum came out, she was so much bigger. Um, but this cub just walked straight to us and just sat down right next to my wife. I mean, we're in a jeep, an open jeep but it sounded right down next to my wife and just sat there for two minutes, just looking straight ahead, didn't even look at us. But again, a bit like what I said with that big male, I could have actually, my wife could have 
gone down and patted it. Um, just, they're just the most beautiful creatures. Um, you know, out of, it's potluck. I, when I was in Ransomball, I went on, we went on four safaris over two days. You do, you know, morning, you do an evening one and an, and an early morning one. I saw tigers every trip. And there was another Aussie couple who were in the same hotel as we were. They'd been on six trips in the same time and didn't see one tiger. No. Every time. It was just one of those things. And um, that time... I've clearly done something good in the past life. (laughs) Yeah. My my wife's my good luck charm. Yeah. Like when we're in in, um, far north Queensland, we saw a cassowary, which your mate did. I don't think he understands how rare they are. They're so hard to see. They're such a rare animal to find. But when she was there, we found a cassowary. We went snorkeling on the reef with my wife. We were swimming with four metre long grey nurse sharks, the most massive sharks. Um, And the guide said in the reef that he'd never seen a grey nurse ever. And so my wife is definitely a good luck charm. Um, (laughs) Wherever she goes, she brings in the rare animals. But yeah, the tigers were amazing. The... Just finishing off on that big male, the man-eater I was talking about, that was a yeah. ransom ball. We could, he walked straight past us. He'd been sitting in, a, in the water. There was a little pond, and I've got the most beautiful photo of him sitting in the pond. If you ever want me to send you the photos, I can send you that one. It's one of, I think it's my, one of my favourite shots I've ever taken. He's yeah. sitting in the pond staring at, not at me, but it looked like he was. But you could see the reflection of his, you know, the beautiful stripes in the water. Um, as well as him, it's just absolutely beautiful. He got up, walked straight past me, and next minute, two um, mid, um, adult, sub-adult tigers came down, and they started, you know, when cats nudge against each other? Yeah. So these three massive tigers nuzzling each other, oh. uh, and evidently this is a really rare one where, again, it was a David Attenborough show. We've, I've seen this tigers in it now. He's one of the few tigers on earth, a male tiger that's brought up two children. Because yeah. male tigers, once they've done their business, <laughs> had their good time with the female tigers, they don't hang out with the families. Unlike Just F the off. <laughs> yeah, they, they've done their job. That and they were, um, But what happened was the, the female tigress got killed in a, in a, a naturally, it was a natural death. And these two cubs were only three, six months old. They'd been... They were no longer, you know, um, needing milk, but she was still catching the, the animals for her. But usually when the mother dies, so do the cubs. This male tiger, for the first time ever they've ever known in history, actually brought them up. It started catching the food and actually bringing it and teaching the, its two children how to hunt. Wow. They've never seen that before, ever. And so I was so lucky to see these three. So I've got photos of all three of them together. It's just amazing because yeah, lions hunt in packs. They've never seen tigers do it before. Um, so yeah, as I said, David Attenborough did a show on this about two years, three years ago, on these um, the male the male tiger who's reared his own children, which is yeah, because it's just they've never seen it before in nature. Um, he looked so beautiful, but then you realise he'd actually killed and eaten three people. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, if anybody wants to see tigers, yeah, Ranthambool's a place. I mean, Ranthambool's got leopards, not that we saw them. It's got bears. And again, lot, we saw lots of crocodiles there too. It's, you know, and it's got so many different deers, as you can imagine, for the tigers. They need some good food. Um, and it's it's an old um, hunting ground for the Maharaja. And um, 
So it's got all these old temples and the tigers actually sit in the temples. Um, it's quite trippy to see, you know, the queen of the, there's a famous queen, I didn't see her, but I've seen her on TV where she sits on one of the, the uh, where the old, um, where the old palace is, she'd sit over the uh, palace wall looking like she was a princess or a queen. It's um, yeah, an amazing place, Rampton Boar. And, yeah, I don't think, we've been to lots of places to see tigers, but that's certainly where we've seen the most. Yeah. Um, yeah, we then went to Delhi, um, which I won't spend too long. Delhi's crazily busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I think that's even, I think, I think 20, I think I said Mumbai's about 24. I think Delhi's about 26 million. It's the biggest city in India. Um, I look the the history there is amazing because it's got the old um, Mughal history when the Muslims invaded and you know that's where the Taj Mahal came from that architecture yeah and then it's got the old Hindu architecture and then it's got the English architecture when the English ruled there um, uh, so it's got Soma and Gandhi was assassinated there and moved there so it's got some amazing history. So it's a great place to visit, and there is some amazing monuments. But I have to say, I'll be honest, uh, Delhi, the Delhi people, I've loved India, but I found the Delhi people probably the least friendly. Right. Uh, I think it's just because it's a big city. Um, Maybe. Big cities are never quite the same. But having said that, Mumbai, I found the people really warm and friendly. Not that we've had it, I had no problems. They just didn't have the same warmth and... Um, generous generosity of spirit but it, look it's a great place to visit you know the old fort's amazing and as i said some of those old um buildings in in delhi are worth going to and the old delhi um, market is the bazaars is just mind-blowing how crazily busy it is so i got a hand rickshaw guy carrying you on a hook he he carried us through the markets um because cars can't go through it, but it was quite amazing going past all these old market stalls and getting in street food there. It's a pretty cool place, but it's dirty, really dusty. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, going to places like where Gandhi was assassinated, going to where he was cremated, you know, it's, you know, we all, as a kid, I remember watching Gandhi the movie and you just see all these, so seeing history coming to life is pretty trippy. Yeah. Um, the only other thing, I, and there's so many little things that are good in, in Delhi. The one thing that I'd say, just because I prefer to talk about things which are a bit off the track, probably the thing, you know, there's all the classical temples, but the one thing that I got told to go to, because one of my friends is a Muslim, um, and he told me to go there, and it was one of the best experiences in India. It was, um, it was called Hazrat, I had to write it down, Hazrat Nizam Ud Din Dagar. Sorry, it's a long name. And it's a temple. He was a um, Sufi priest. And it was built in 1325. So it's you know, 400 years old. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. 600 years old. Built. 700 years old. Sorry. It was built for. It's where he was as the shrine of a Sufi saint. But every, uh, I think, two, three times a night, we'd, a week, we were there one night. All the Sufi singers come out and they do this thing called a kualari kawali i'm not muslim so i apologize for the muslims i'm like Mr. <laughs> butchering the uh, phrase <laughs> yeah i know, I know. and um but it was it's um it's singing it's a devotional singing to this priest and they do it at sunset so you're standing there and because we were white people they pushed us right to the front um people that's the thing about india if they know you're tourists they actually want you to 
as if they really want you to get into it and love it. You don't. And so we, I stood at the back, and before I knew it, they pushed both of us into the front. We were sitting right next to the singers, and that you sit down next to the singers, and there was about thirty men singing the most amazing, beautiful songs, and the sun was setting. And you're in this, you're on the out, this outer mosque, and I said, but well, yeah, just the colours of the sunset. Um, hearing this such for me alien singing, beautiful singing, for about an hour, it, you just you think. I can't believe I'm in this place. It just doesn't feel real. Um, and again, there wasn't that many tourists. There were a few people who knew it. There was definitely a few um, non-Indian people there, but it really was an amazing place to visit. So besides the usual things, if if people um, want to see something a little bit different and a really magical experience, hearing that singing at sunset is just absolutely beautiful. Um, and it, it was just such a peaceful feeling, which is very rare to say that in Delhi. Yes, yeah, I yeah. imagine so. Given the population, geez. <laughs> yeah, so we, so Taj Mahal's about a, I think it was about a four-hour drive. Um, Agra is a city that it's in. Um, Agra is probably the ugliest city in India that I've been to, <laughs> um, but it's also got the most beautiful place in India, Taj Mahal. So, I, I, I think it's one of those things. that's a cliche. You know, I think I heard one of your other people on one of your podcasts talk, you know, sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. Yes. Um, you know, we've been, I remember seeing the Eiffel Tower and thinking, yeah, it's good. And the, and the um, you know, New York seeing uh, Empire State saying, yeah, it's good. The Taj Mahal is nothing like that. Taj Mahal is honestly the most beautiful building I've ever seen in the world. It's, uh, it's as better than I even thought it would be. Wow. And I went in with high expectations and... Sometimes that's a real worry because your expectations are never met. But I oh, know it's honestly the most beautiful building I've ever seen in my life. Um, the um, we got there, we drove in and we got from Delhi. We got in at about just late afternoon, and on the other side of the um, of the other side of the river there, and I can't think of the river's name, but the main river on um, in Agra. It also goes past Delhi. Um, there's a uh, there's a garden, and if you ask to, if you ask a taxi or an Uber, Ubers are really cheap over there. If you ask, yeah. we had a driver, but if you haven't got a driver, Ubers really cheap, um, really cheap. And just ask them to take you to the garden on the other side of the river. It's called the Yamuna River. Y A M U N U N I just remembered. And this, you watch the sunset behind the Taj Mahal from that side of the river. So seeing, and a lot of people do know there's people are lining up on this wall watching the sunset. It's free, costs nothing, because it's just in a park. Um, and uh, watching the sunset behind the Taj Mahal is just amazing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just so peaceful. I mean, there were people there, it was probably 100. Most of them were English. I was going to say Poms. I'm sorry, Chris. Most of them were English. But there, was a few, there was a few Americans, a few Aussies. Um, but yeah, um, the English seem to know a little bit more about that place than most of the others did. But it was, yeah, look, watching the sunset there was special, really special. Um, and it's free. I mean, that's the thing. You can, if, yeah. if you don't want to pay to go into the Taj Mahal, you can see it from the other side of the river and it costs you nothing. Um, Absolutely. And that alone is worth the drive to Agra. Um, but we got up early in the morning and our, we stayed in a homestay. We love staying in homestays more than hotels. 
I've been talking about palaces a lot, but that's they're not expensive, but homestays are really cheap. Um, in India, I just love staying with local families. Um, again, you just get to experience so much more of the culture. Um, and uh, that's so cheap. It's cheaper than a hostel and it's better than a hostel. Um, um, especially if you're going with other people, like going with my wife, you know, we just had a ball. You know, we're staying with families and that they, they take you out to restaurants. They'd often cook meals for you in their homes. And this homestay, he had a, they had a rooftop garden that actually had a view over the Taj Mahal at night, which was all lit up at night. You know, and we think we're paying 10 to 15 pounds for this. You know, it's just ridiculous. Jeez. And you know, so you and you got and again they'd bring you up a gin and tonic, no charge. You'd have a gin and tonic, watching the sun, not the sunset. It was past then, watching the lights of the Taj Mahal, which was pretty special. Um, but we got up really early in the morning because we've been told, you know, that the crowds in the Taj Mahal are, are just crazy. And um, it's really interesting. We was we were the you know, another couple. There was two English women who were there with us who said, oh, we went this morning and it was all covered in fog and I've heard tomorrow's fog again, so I'm not going. Well, we got up and of course it was thick fog and it was still dark. We walked along the main road to the Taj and we got there at six o'clock, which is when it opens. Yeah. So we're up early um, and it was fog. Anyway, we walked through and it's about a 500 metre walk through these little temples and buildings before you get to the gate when you open up and then you can see the Taj. Yeah. Well, when we got to it, it was still covered in fog, but by the time we walked, I don't know if you remember the Princess Di seat where she sat, got the famous photo where she sat and you got the Taj behind and there's yep. the, the water down the middle. Yeah. Well, it started breaking. So my wife sat there. There was nobody else there at that stage. We were the only people in the Taj Mahal. And she sat there pretending to be Princess Di. Um, and we got the photo just as the sun started breaking through the fog and the wow. white dome Taj came up. Absolutely stunning. And when you walked to the Taj, it was because the the, the um, fog was breaking, but it made that instead of being that white, it came out like a golden yellow. Um, honestly, I've got some of the most amazing photos with nobody in them. Um, it's incredible. Which, if you ever go to the Taj, is incredible. If you ever see photos at like eight, nine o'clock, we were there for two hours just wandering around the temp, running around the dome. You can actually go in and see where. Um, where she's buried, it was the uh, one of the queens of the Shah Jahan. You know, he did that as a ultimate. You know, you know that was where he uh, a monument for his most favourite wife. And um, it was, it's just, it is definitely the most romantic place I've ever seen. Um, it's not. I think it cost ten dollars to get into, but it's worth every cent. Even if it was busy, it's worth going to. It's honestly. Like I said, cliched for a reason. I don't think there's any more beautiful structure in the world. And we laughed because by the time we were leaving, there was an American couple coming in, and an American guy got really angry. He said, that this is fake. We were laughing. We thought he was joking. He was shouting at his wife, this is fake. Nothing this old could look that perfect. And we thought he was joking. We were starting to laugh with him. Yeah. And he stared at us. He said, no, I'm serious. I said, <laughs> we all know that there's the real Taj Mahal's two kilometers upstream. This is a fake for tourists. No, I'll go there then, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> what I said to him, hey, if this is a fake, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty impressive fake. I mean, the size of it is just vast. Um, but yeah, we, we, we couldn't stop laughing at this American. Sorry, guys, if there's anybody American listening to it. But yeah, he was a very funny American guy. Um, yeah. 
but um, it was absolutely, yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. Um, I don't think there's any place that I've seen that's ever quite compared to the Taj in beauty. Okay. So after the Taj then, where's next? Well, we then um, went further east. I'll just, I'll just want to talk about two more places that were special in our hearts. Of course. Orchard, O-R-R-C-H-A, which is a small town about four hours further east. Again, so we're still going east. Yeah. Uh, from left to right on the Indian map. Uh, Orchard is a very small town we've been told about that was beautiful. It's, it's got a temple to the to Raj, uh, to, to Ram, Ram, Ram Raja, Ram Raja temple. And it's the <laughs> only one, it's the only one in India that's uh, worships, because most of them worship either Vishnu or Shiva. Um, but this one's a, is the only one where Rama is worshipped. Absolutely beautiful place. Um, a thousand year old temple and we walked there at night and it was but unfortunately my wife almost she got a very close near-death experience there mm. um we were walking towards the temple and you got to take off your shoes there was a place to take off your shoes before you went in and next minute we heard all this commotion and we heard we were in this very enclosed space just before we get to the door entrance where you take off your shoes next minute about 50 cows massive cows and indian cows have horns started charging straight at my wife um because what had happened all these kids who were running around outside the temple were just playing with the cows but scared them and spooked them and the only way out for the cows was straight in front of where my wife was no they came straight at her and i'm not joking a guy literally dived and took my wife out and, and like literally dived like a rugby tackle and to pull her, yeah. I didn't even know happening because I was putting on my shoe, to pull her across to the left. It was impressive, it was impressive rugby tackle. Um, yeah. What was he doing? The next minute, 50 cows went running straight past us and right where my wife would have been, they would have gone and trampled her. 100% they would have trampled her. So, yeah. Uh, and it's not uncommon in India, this, I mean, cows are sacred to them. Um, yeah, you just got to keep your wits. Cows are such beautiful creatures over there, but they're big. And uh, uh, one of our friends got actually stabbed by one of their horns by accident in Varanasi. Yeah. Um, and had to have massive stitches. Um, so, you know, we've heard of people dying over there from cows, not intentionally, but just, you know, they're big animals with horns. So uh, she's okay. Yeah, yeah, she was fine. I mean, other than wondering, what is a guy tackling her for? Yeah, uh, yeah, but it was it was very quick to realise he was doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. But other than that, Orchard was beautiful. Um, it's got two temples again, not temples, two palaces where there is again nobody. Again, we were the only people. We went there in the morning. We actually got a guide again, and again, just these beautiful frescoes in the buildings. And uh, next door is a temple that we also went to, the Chhatrapaj Temple. Which, you know, it's a beautiful temple, but what was really fascinating about it was all in the eaves of the temple were vultures. It's where vultures nest. Right. So these massive vultures were just sitting up there above us um, amongst all the temple. Um, not something you see every day in a temple. So a beautiful place. Um, last but not least, that we also went to Kajaraho and went to some other places. But the one place I want to finish off with, because... Out of everything, it's my wife's favourite place in India, is Varanasi. Um, mm -hmm. You know Varanasi? I do not know. So Varanasi is the holiest city in India. 
Wow. It's um, the, where the Ganges is, the Ganges is their holiest river. And it's where they consider the holiest place for the river Ganga, they call it. Um, it's where all their whole temples, it's where if you are going to achieve, and I'm, I'm not, gee, I'm going to butcher Hinduism now, but um, <laughs> when you're going to achieve, um, is it moksha, where you're going to get, uh, leave the earth and not come, not keep coming back as an animal or another person, um, you, if you're going to be cremated, if you get cremated in Varanasi, it's like the best chance of you actually leaving the earth in a positive way. Wow. So it's the holiest city in India. In India, many people go there just to die and then to be buried, to be burnt, and then have their ashes let let go in Var in the Ganges there. Um, so if you ever hear of the Ganges being holy, Varanasi is the place. But it's not only is it the holiest city of Hinduism, it's also one of the holiest cities of Buddhism. Because it's where um, Buddha gave his first sermon in one of the suburbs is called Sarnath, and that's where he went to seek enlightenment, and he gave his first sermon there. So it's a place where Buddhists go on. You know, in nearly every Buddhist and every every Hindu is expected to go there at least once in their life yeah. if they can afford to. Um, amazing, right on the river. You know, supposedly the oldest city in the world oldest continually inhabited city in the world um just mind-blowing the architecture but yeah the river i guess two things i'd say is the river we had this vision and we've seen so many videos over the years of the ganges being so dirty and particularly varanasi is where it's infamous of being so dirty we were stunned by how relatively clean it was and we spoke to um, where we stayed and they said Modi, who's the Prime Minister, has made it an absolute priority to get the Ganges back to how it used to be. So in the last two, three years, they've done a massive clean-up. Now, that's not to say it was picture-perfect clear like Venice looks at the moment. You know, we see those photos of Venice and you can see the fish and the dolphins. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's amazingly clean, which you'd want to be because there were people swimming in this river which, you know, I've seen videos three, four, five years ago where it was just rubbish, dead bodies, dead cows. Um, it, it was disgusting. But, yeah, I, we were really pleasantly surprised by how clean it was. Well, that kind um, of answers one of my questions I had, which was, do you think... Um, I, I was going to ask it before, and then you mentioned it was tidy, so I rephrased it in my head, and then you answered it for me. It's like you're telepathic. <laughs> but I was going to ask if, if it was because of the culture and the meaning behind the place, which is why that... Yeah, the place was cleaner. Well, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have guessed as, as soon as the last two or three years. Yeah, it's only the last two or three years. That's one of the sad things about India. You know, I've talked it up, and I do love the country and I love the people, but I don't think they understand how beautiful their country is. It does. It's getting better. I've been there a few years now, different trips, and in that very short space of time, I've seen they're willing to try and become greener, willing to understand the danger of all the rubbish, because there are some places which are so beautiful, which are so rubbish filled, it's so sad. Yeah. Rivers full, I don't even mean a bit a bit of rubbish, I mean completely full. Lakes and step wells that the water is just, would be, there'd be less water and more rubbish in. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. But I do think they're making really good progress. I really think um, they're now realising that They've got to change, um, and, they, and credit to the people who are doing that. And you know, 
they're becoming they're getting they're quite well educated very well educated indians now and i think they're starting to understand that hey this is our future and you know we could actually do a lot better if we get this right we could do really well yeah. i've seen that their animal conservation how they look after the tigers you know like i said any other place if tigers killed somebody they'd kill that tiger straight away yeah if a white kills somebody in australia they're on a hunt to try and kill that great white but they're understanding that hey you know, we're in their place like you said before but yeah. also this is actually their future of their tourism so i'm hoping that things change i know tiger numbers have increased dramatically in the five last five years in india it's been a real success story um so coming back to varanasi yeah look the mate compared to how i imagined it it was a lot cleaner yeah sunsets in varanasi though were just amazing watching the sunset over the ganges with all of the people praying on the on the gats these steps that go down to the river it's honestly like you're stepping back into a movie that doesn't seem real um and then when the sun completely sets they do a and they do this in lots of parts of the ganges what they call them arti which is where the hindus and i'm not i can't remember exactly but it's like saying goodbye to the gods for the night and they do one in the morning too at sunrise uh, obviously it's more popular at sunset but we saw the sunrise and the sunset we love you know we don't mind getting up early to do those experiences yeah, it's worth it yeah it is absolutely and it was a quarter of the crowd if not less than that but the sunset the sunset one would have been oh, i think people say it's like hundred thousand on boats all crowded around and probably just as many on the steps around the um, priests who are almost acrobats they carry these um, massive um, candles and smoke that they circle over their bodies and their flames are going everywhere and there's 15 20 of them all doing the same thing at once um, in the pitch black it's just spellbinding uh, it's amazing to think this is not a show. This is actually real priests doing this. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people go just for the spectacle, but it's a religious service. It's just mind-blowing. Um, and just to go, we saw that one, and we saw the one in the morning, which was identical, but just a lot more peaceful. Um, yeah, absolutely one of the highlights. And it's a bit morbid for some people, but you know, the, the Hindus um, have a very different view of death. And you go to the Ghats, there's the burning Ghats where they cremate. Um, and I can't remember the numbers, but there's something like, I think there's like 30 people being cremated out in the open on the river's edge, on the steps, every hour. Yeah. Um, and from the river, you can see them burning. You can even, if you wish, we, we, we had a guy said, do you want to come in and look? And I said, no, no, thank you very much. They said, no, we don't mind. We said, no, we, we don't need to look at the bodies. We you know, for us, it's so different to us. Um, you know, it's not something you'd see in Australia and I imagine the UK, but yeah, it's different. They, just treat, they treat death, death so differently. So to be honest, so much, in a way, so much more refreshing than we do. It's just yeah, another part yeah. of the journey. But yeah, I didn't want to be, feel like, I felt like if I'd gone in, I saw a few tourists walking around the bodies. And honestly, I felt like I, if I did, I'd be a bit more of a, it felt like I'm more of a voyeur. Um, I think for me, seeing it from a distance, for me, it felt more respectful. I don't think the Indians minded that I just, we saw it from a distance from the river and that was enough, but to, it was quite weird seeing all these bodies and they explained all the woods had significance, how they burnt them in the oils. And, yeah. Um, it was amazing, the stories, and you'd see 
processions while you live while we stayed in Varanasi of people being carried down openly on these sort of um, you know funeral pyres, walking them down with all the family behind, going down to the river, and then they had them oil them up and then um, burn them. Um, but it, you know, it was almost I don't know, when I say beautiful, that's not the word, but they did it with such much so much respect. Um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Not at all morbid. And people said to me, could you smell it? I know that sounds horrible. Yeah. But, but I think that's something that people would get scared by. But no, you, what you smell is the oils. You know, they use sound. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's a beautiful smell, but it's not anything. At least it's not that. No, no, it, it's not offensive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I'd say anybody who's got a reasonably open mind, Varanasi is probably the most extreme place I've ever been to, but also one of the most magical places. And my wife, Hayley, said out of everywhere she's visited in the world, that's that's probably the most amazing place. And, you know, we've travelled a fair bit. There's only a few places that have really touched us spiritually, so to speak, and Varanasi was one of them. The other one for us was Arnhem Land up in Northern Territory in the Indigenous lands. Those two places, there was something about it that felt um, other not otherworldly, but you really felt like you were in close to whatever you believe in, but it was, it was just... I can't explain it. Varanasi was one of those. And yet it's dirty, it's chaotic, but there's something mesmerising about those festivals, the arty every night and the burning gats um, and knowing that these people are coming here because this is their, the, the ultimate for a Hindu to go to, to die, yeah. is the place them to be cremated. It, it's an amazing place. Yeah. So that was our two weeks. Um, I've skipped a few places because I realised how long I've been talking. <laughs> but it's a, you know, you know, you can do that easily in two weeks with a car. Um, and if you put into perspective, um, you know, it only costs $80 a day max to get a good driver, to have all your petrol uh, and to rent to rent the car. And they're good cars. You know, we had a really nice car with air conditioning, which is really important in India. Um, yeah. Nice <laughs> Spoke English, you, you can get it cheaper, but ask for an English-speaking driver when you start arranging them. Um, and you can get what you pay for anyway, don't you? Yeah, so. you do, but you, even then, like, we paid at the top end, and that's $80. Yeah. Uh, which, sorry, £40, so £40 a day. Um, you know, I, again, I can't, I can't remember how dear it was to rent a car in the UK, but you know, in Australia, you, you, you struggle to get any car for £40. Forty pound a day, just a line of car. Yes, Level. you do. Yeah, drive it for you and, and have all your petrol paid for. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, there's so much you see. It's not just the the thing about India. It's not just the places that I've listed. And you know, it's actually the journey. Just constantly, all the little villages, all the driving you're seeing, camels come past. You know, people pushing trolleys on camels. There's street food stalls where you'll find guavas, fresh guavas, just in the middle of nowhere. The mangoes stands where the fresh mangoes are and papaya. Yeah. And those sort of things are just in the middle of nowhere sometimes. Um, that, there's just so much happening in India. It's, it's just non-stop energy. You know, it's not for everybody. I've had people go there and say it was their worst experience in their life. Depends <laughs> um, how you do it. Driving. And yeah. if there's poverty, Poverty is extreme. I mean, you do see that there is there are things about it which 
we do find, I find hard, you know, seeing extreme poverty, I've seen people with no arms, no legs, begging, and, you know, some of that's gut-wrenching. Um, and so it, it, there is some tough thing, and you see so much overt wealth too. But, you know, some of the happiest people I've ever met yeah, in the world, and I've travelled a lot, are Indians and Nepalese too. You know, not talking about Nepal here, but Indians and Nepalese. But they often don't have that much money. It just highlights to me that it's not what you own. It, it's it, it, People make, can make do with very little and still live, live a very fulfilling and what seems to be a happy life. You know, I think we're blessed where I live in Australia and UK, but I can tell you people still have a great life with much less than we do. And uh, that's in that spirit that I love about India. The, the yeah. Indian spirit is just amazing. So before we start wrap up questions, is there anything else we need to know? Anything, anything you kind of just naturally did a, did a kind of a wonderful summary, to be honest. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I don't think, <laughs> I think, just, I think the thing is you have to go in with an open mind. Yeah. Um, embrace the craziness. You know, the the organised chaos that you described is definitely right, Chris. It, you know, it is that. But, mm. And expect there to be some stuff ups. You know, I think in most of these sort of countries, when you're starting to go, um, developing nations and third world countries, you know, India's not third world, but it's definitely developing. Yeah. You know, things don't work the same way that they do in... Germany or Australia yes. or England. I was say that. Yeah, but that's the excitement of it too. Um, yes. And it all works itself out. Um, yeah, there's some negatives. The officials can be very officious, but it's just because they, they like to think they're important, but you, you, there's nobody there who's really trying to do anything different. You get haggled a bit. I mean, that one of the other things, you do get hassled a bit. You know, people are always wanting to buy you, but you buy something, but you just have to be firm. And, and the it, will be rude. You don't have to be rude. You can just say no or just, in the yes. end, you just ignore them you know, if they're just not giving up. Sorry, what were you going to so, ask? What I was going to say there was actually, this is something I've learned in, in the, sort of the professions I've been in, and, and it really, really applies to when there's a different culture, is you've got to ask yourself, if you're in that sort of uncomfortable uh, interaction, is, I'm going to change the word I used, idiot, um, uh, <laughs> is someone being an idiot to you or an idiot around you? And yeah. and yeah. when you're talking about those officials being a little bit sort of self-important, I think when you take a step back and realise they're not they're not they're not being horrible to you, they're just being that way. Then right. it makes for a very a much more relaxing situation, and you can just sort of accept it more. Because if you're used oh. to the comfort of your your German hotel uh, in okay. Europe, then this isn't the holiday for you. No, no, it's all the podcast for you. I don't think, but. Uh... No. <laughs> No, it's not, and, I, and and that's the thing that you know, um, it's not. You can make it a luxury holiday. I mean, we yeah. didn't, because um, that's not the way we live. That's not our style of holiday. Mm. Um, but it doesn't. It's it's. But you've got to have an open mind. Of like course. I said, I listed. You know, we stayed in palaces, which were so cheap, but were just magical. Um, right through to homestays, um, which were cheaper than hostels, but just infinitely more for me much more valuable. I'm not that age now, a hosteller, where to me it's that important not to hang around people. You know, I, I'm a very social person, but for me it was immersing myself in the culture. Um, and the one thing about India is you give a little bit, you get so much in return. If you show any interest in the Indian people, I, uh, you know, I got invited in so many homes for free meals. I got invited to homes for tea and then 
I didn't talk about it this time, but I went into a remote indigenous area that you need a permit to get into. Um, and there are no tourists at all. Um, and you go with the, with the tribal elder from one village to the next. And um, you know, that, I, they'd never met white person before in these villages. And there I was in their homes, not speaking a word of English. And yet I had some of the best experiences. They came out with the most amazing food. Um, just hospitable because I showed interest and you know it, it's yeah. I think a lot of those places if you get like I said if you give a little bit you get so much in return you if you just go there and go on a tour I mean tours are good if you it, it is a confronting place but if you go on a tour with 30 other people on a bus you just wouldn't get those experiences or they wouldn't be so genuine um, sometimes you just got to go a little bit out of your comfort zone and you'll get experiences that are never any. That experience where I went to the shearing, seeing the shearers where they <laughs> plied me with marijuana tea, which I didn't expect. <laughs> but it wasn't just that, but it was going into a, seeing a, a village where nobody else goes, seeing old fashioned shearing with a bunch of men with, you know, those sort of things. You, they're just experiences that just, you can't put money, you can't put a value to them. Exactly. Um, you'd never get that unless you took a, got in a car and just had an open mind and just um, ran with and took a bit of a risk. Um, Indians, you know, especially if you go with somebody else, they're not, they don't, they're not looking for trouble. Just just take a bit of a risk and you'll you'll have the ball there. Perfect. Um, one of my one of the questions I wanted to ask you uh, was, and this is a uh, you've you've kind of summarized it just just then in a way, but tailoring it to you now, you are an Australian who loves yep. your country. Um, what is it about India that draws you back each time? The people, definitely the people. Um, yeah. uh, the people and the chaos, the energy. Because yeah. I guess I'm attracted to it because it's so different. I mean, there's a lot of difference. It's obviously much older than us, and there's some beautiful scenery. The wildlife is amazing. Um, but it's like a lot of places. I think you go to places you want to see things and do things but it's usually the people that you remember the most yeah i've made lifelong friends in india that one of the drivers that i mentioned aj who's now you know a friend of mine um yeah. other person i met in chennai who owned a bed and breakfast um that would now become friends um it's just the people are, are what keep it bringing you back because it's and that energy you know australia is so organized it's so quiet um it's everything that india's not um there's no traffic uh, other than sydney and melbourne there's just no traffic in australia um even in our big cities so it's it's everything that we're not and i think that's what attracts me to it being an australian is there's differences but the people are the number one thing um yeah. people are just as i said i don't think i've ever been to a place where you give that little bit they just give you so much back in return yeah um, anywhere else in, in the world that i've been to maybe indonesia a little bit but yeah i think almost definitely india is just another world for that so you've you've been several times as we've as we've discussed to india yeah. what's one thing you do now that's different to when you first went and and greatly benefits you more risk. So the biggest difference, I, the first time, obviously, I had so much advice from friends and family from across the globe who said, don't eat this, don't do that, don't do this. <laughs> and I guess, um, Stay in your box. 
<laughs> yeah, basically. So get through the window, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like you get so scared that you, to a degree, that the first trip was a little bit more. Um, I didn't get a, I didn't organise a tour, but I got, um, I did a lot more planning, a lot more organising, and a lot more um, being careful. Um, yeah, going to um, hotel restaurants rather than restaurants that were street stalls or yeah i just did a i just started going with my gut and i asked yeah. a lot more people as i got more confident in the in the country and realized that everybody there was trying to make money out of you <laughs> some some are but you'd ask questions like where would where would you i'd ask people look i'm looking for a great place for lunch can you recommend one i just ask somebody and you'd get some great answers and i never had a bad meal that way yeah um, and they nearly all speak English. I mean, except for the poorest people in India, even people who aren't that well educated still speak enough English you can get through. But seventy percent of the population, I guess, speak better English than I do. Um, yeah, so you'll never have a problem with understanding people in India. And uh, so I just had, the, I just got the courage. That's the difference now to the start. Is I ask questions so I can get. <clears throat> better advice about where to eat because and what to do because the Indian people they know better places than we do um, where to eat and I want to experience food like they eat I don't want to eat hospital not hospital definitely want to eat hospital hotel yes you know, really safe food because it's safe for a reason uh, yeah. you know, without all those flavors and fresh ingredients I want to eat like the locals do um, that's the biggest difference when I started it's an interesting question I mean it's a good one yeah yeah <laughs> um uh, one two two more what's one thing that I should avoid when going to India to make my trip the best avoid um if anything I would, yeah I would avoid staying in western hotels yeah, okay, so that you can really connect with the people and the culture. 100%. Stay in, look, if, I, 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 just the Western hotels are very expensive. They're as expensive as, staying in a hotel in Mumbai, in a Western-type hotel, is as expensive as staying in one in London. So as much as I've said how cheap it is, that's only when you stay more like a local. And whether that's hosteling, hosteling still is cheap there, but you know, I'm at the age where I don't do that, but it's, I've used used to do hosteling, but the hostels, as I said, if you if you want to try something different, do homestays. Um, that's that's I think probably the biggest thing. Avoid Western hotels. Yeah. You'll pay probably you'll pay one night hotel versus a homestay. You could probably stay in five nights for the same price. If not yeah, that's a lot and more genuine. Very artificial experience. If you want that experience, if you want to experience India, but you need a bit of a haven, some of those Western hotels might attract you. Maybe the first time, the first night when you get to India, you're yeah. staying in home Delhi. It's probably, maybe that's the time to do it the first time, just so you can get home to something that feels more normal because it is such a culture shock. I don't think I've been anywhere else where it's yeah. so different in the, in the world. And I think everybody says that too, and it's so true. It is a culture shock. 
You know what? That's but a good me- tip as well, actually, because my, my friend who I mentioned before this call, who's currently traveling, uh, when she got to Thailand, she she actually booked a hotel for the first three nights just to give her that time to assess yeah. what the hell is going on, because Bangkok yeah. was the first place she'd been to, um, yeah. and then figure out what, when she was there, which hostel she was going to go to and which places to do. So actually, yeah, you, yeah. maybe maybe if you're not quite used to a culture shock, yeah. then then yeah, maybe that'll appeal for the first couple of nights. Yeah, that, and that's probably the, that, but otherwise, once you get confident, try to avoid those hotels because you'll have such a better time and save a fortune. Perfect. So we have gone to the Taj Mahal in the fog. We've been bribed by weed tea. Uh, we've seen fantastic <laughs> architecture. I I can nail it down to a few suggestions, but but for you, if you could relive one moment from this. Which one would that be? Oh, that's easy. For me, it's, um, oh, there's probably two, but I'll, I had to do one. The one that stands out is that the first time that Patty and I saw the cub come and sit next to us, that was the first time we saw a tiger. Uh, and then the mother came out to go next to the cub, um, spending five minutes next to a tiger with nobody else other than the driver and the National Park guy. Yeah, to me, that was... One of the things that I'm, I don't think I'll ever forget. Um, that was the one. Yeah, that one. I mean, if I talk about the other one, if you let me have a second one, it's definitely the sunrise um, in the, on the Taj Mahal. With yeah. Nobody else around. But yeah, that was special. But tigers are such amazing beasts, and that's so hard. To, not so many people go because I'm trying to find them and don't see them. And, yeah. The first time you see a tiger in the wild and, and you see it for so long that we've had so long with the little cub and the mother. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that, that I could do that. I could go back tomorrow if I knew that was going to happen again. Well, I suppose the difference there is you will get a sunrise 365 times a year at Taj Mahal, but you, uh, you can't guarantee you'll see that tiger every time. No, absolutely. No, and that's exactly right. That was just, yeah, that was so special. Listen, James, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. This, is, this has been a whopper of a, of a, of a one, but you, you kept providing detail uh, and tips and locations and descriptions, so I loved it. Thank you. Thanks, thanks very much for your time, Chris. Thanks, thanks for having me on. So that was Exploring the Unexplored in India. I really, really enjoyed James' his information, his anecdotes, his accounts. I hope you did too. If you have a, an adventure that you want to talk about, please get in touch on at BTM Travel Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email btmtravelpod at gmail.com, and we can have a chat about anything you've been up to. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thanks. Bye.